So this morning we are continuing in our series that we've been in over the last five weeks called The Blessed Life. Everybody say The Blessed Life. The Blessed Life is the best life. Say that. The Blessed Life is the best life. And what we've seen in Matthew chapter 5, we've been looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by none other than Jesus himself, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been going over the first portion of that sermon known as the Beatitudes. Everybody say Beatitudes. Beatitudes. And so this morning, we're going to continue looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to look at the last Beatitude this morning. And as we dive into Scripture, I want us to see how as citizens of this uncommon kingdom that we should have an uncommon perspective. If you have your copy of God's Word, open up to Matthew chapter 5, if you will. Everybody turn to Matthew chapter 5. That's where we're going to be camping out once again this morning. And I want us to read this text together because we challenged you. Pastor Todd, Pastor Matt, myself have challenged you over the last several weeks to memorize this scripture, to know it by heart. And I'm going to let you cheat a little bit this morning. We're going to have it on the screens. But man, I want you to try to beat the hour at 930. I want you to read it loud and proud, letting me know that you really, you don't even need to look at it. You've got it memorized. All right. So here we go. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse one, it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. I need you to come on. I need you to participate. Here we go. Let's start over. You ready? Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for the word we just read. Holy Spirit, you are the one who penned the words on these pages so I ask that you would give us understanding. Help us to see the things you need us to see. God, I'm praying by the power of your spirit that you would change us and make us more like your son. It's in his name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. So we've discovered over the last few weeks that these beatitudes that Jesus is describing in Matthew 5, they're not just a, a list of things that we're trying to do, but rather they are attributes that come, become a part of us. They are who we are. We've explored in the first seven of these Beatitudes, and, and as we've explored those, we've learned that these are things that happen in us when Jesus enters into our life and begins to transform us from the inside 
out. You've heard Pastor Todd say that over the last several weeks. This is an inside job. This is an inside out type of working that Jesus does in us when we realize we're poor in spirit, when we mourn over our sin, when we are meek and we submit our will to his will, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, when we pursue peace, when we're merciful, when we do all of these things that Jesus begins to work inside of us and produce these things in us and then through us. And so what we're going to see this morning in this last beatitude that we're talking about is this is not something that happens to us, but rather this is something that happens. This is not something that happens in us, but rather this is something that happens to us because of all the other seven. So in other words, when we start to really live out those seven beatitudes that Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 5, we're gonna see this last one. It doesn't happen in us, but it happens to us because of the other seven. Let's check it out in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. It says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Greek word that is used in this text by Matthew is this word, dioko. Everybody say dioko. Dioko is a word that simply means this. It means to pursue in a hostile manner, to molest, to harass, to put someone to flight. This word dioko is used over 40 times just in the New Testament. In fact, this word dioko is the, is the word that the apostle Paul would use to describe himself before he met Jesus, when he was Saul in pursuit of persecuting the church. This is the word that he used to describe the persecution and the things that he was doing. Let's see what he says about himself in Acts chapter, th- Acts chapter eight, starting in verse three, says, but, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, these men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That was chapter 9, verse 12. So here Jesus is in Matthew chapter five at the end of this portion of this sermon called the Beatitudes, and he uses this same word, dioko. And he says, blessed are those who are dioko, or blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. What a a strange thing to say. I mean, I, I, I can understand the things that we've been talking about, like being poor in spirit and, and being merciful and being a peacemaker and being all of these things. And you get to the end of that incredible list and then you get this, this word dioko. You get Jesus saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. And it's like Jesus just drops a bomb on all of us, drops the bomb on the disciples and all those that were gathered around listening to him that day. I mean, Why in the world would he say, blessed are the persecuted? It's a strange thing to me. And here's why, because when you look at that list of the Beatitudes, you think, if you're like me, you think to yourself, why in the world would anyone have to, why would the world have to fear anyone who is poor in spirit? 
Why would the world have anything to fear from those who mourn over their sin? Why would the world fear anyone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness? I mean, these people that live this way, these people that are meek and merciful and pure in heart, the people that are described in Matthew chapter five, these should be the most celebrated and beloved people in all the world. Don't you agree with that? I mean, we should have an award ceremony every year where we give out awards for the most meek person. And if they came up to receive the award, the reward would then be null and void because now they're no longer humble and meek. You ever met a person that tries to tell you how humble they are? And the moment they do, you're like, yeah, it's not working, right? But I, what I mean by this is this should be the, these people, these followers of Jesus who are poor in spirit and who are merciful and who are pure in heart and who are peacemakers, these should be the most beloved people and celebrated people on the planet. They're not. They're often persecuted. In fact, Jesus says, they will be persecuted. They are persecuted. They are hated. Why? That's my question. Why? Like, why would someone who lives this way, why would they be persecuted? What would make anyone want to persecute someone that lives like this? And Jesus gives us the answer in verse 10. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Do you see it? That's the answer right there. No other reason. Those, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That's the answer, that's the reason, righteousness. The word righteousness comes from this Greek word which means to divide. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write that down. This Greek word that we have for righteousness is a word that literally means to divide. The reason that Christians are persecuted is in a very real sense that they are divisive. In other words, they are different. You see, to divide means to be different and Christians of all people should be different. Don't you agree? We're not of this world anymore. We're, we're of another kingdom. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We're light in the darkness. We're salt. You're gonna, we're gonna learn about that next week, that, I've, that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light, right? It's, it's offensive to some. They don't understand it because we're different. In fact, Christians should be a diamond in the dirt, if you will. It should just stand out and sparkle among the crowd. Let me show you, in week one, we talked about these two different kingdoms and how they were divided because we were no longer of the kingdom of this world, but now we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Here's what the kingdom of the world looks like compared to the kingdom of heaven. Those who are still in this world and of this world and have not been, have not been changed and transformed by Jesus, they live this way. It says that those that are in the world are arrogant. Those that belong to the kingdom of heaven live with humility. Those of this world, they live a carefree life doing whatever they want, when they want, how they want. Those who are part of the kingdom of heaven live with the sense of poverty and spirit, poor in spirit and brokenness over sin, brokenness over the world and the things that are going on. Those who live in this world are strong and they dominate the weak and lord it over them. Those who belong to the kingdom of heaven are, practice meekness and gentleness and humility, compassion, their heart breaks for the things that God's heart breaks for. In other words, 
People that live in this world are pursue pleasure, personal pleasure at all costs. They do whatever they can to get what they want. Those who live and belong to the kingdom of heaven hunger for holiness, righteousness, hunger and thirst for it. Let's keep going. Those that belong to the kingdom of this world, they retaliate, they get revenge, they get even. Those who belong to the kingdom of heaven, they don't live like this. They extend mercy because of the mercy they've received. They extend mercy, they love their enemies. Those who belong to this world have hidden motives and agendas. They're always doing whatever it takes, stepping on people to make themselves look better. Those who belong to the kingdom of heaven are sincere, genuine, authentic. Sound familiar? We wanna be an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We wanna be authentic. Those who belong to this world are confrontational and divisive and they wanna be right. They wanna prove everyone wrong. Those that belong to the kingdom of heaven pursue peace and reconciliation. They grab this hand and this hand and they bring them together as Pastor Todd said a week or so ago. Those who belong to this world, they're looking for acceptance and approval. They want everybody to like them and those who belong to the kingdom of heaven are joyfully persecuted is what we read in verse 10. Let me remind you of what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Now you don't have to flip over there, it'll be on the screens, but John 15, Jesus said this. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, in other words, if you still belong to that kingdom, the world would love you as its own, basically. The world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I have now chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. In other words, you realize your poverty, you're poor in spirit, you mourn over your sin, you're broken and you asked me to save you and I entered into your life. And in that moment, I've removed you from belonging to this world and I placed you in a different kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And you're now a different person. You're a different citizen. Your citizenship is no longer here on earth. Your citizenship is in heaven. So you're no longer of the world. So the world doesn't get you. It doesn't understand you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because listen, they do not know him who sent me. We've said over the last few weeks when we talk about this word righteousness, we've said in its simplest form, righteousness is this. And if you didn't write it down the first week, I want you to write it down this morning. When you start to try to wrap your mind around what is righteousness, I'm supposed to be hungering and thirsting for it. And it says that I'm gonna be persecuted because of it. You might wanna know what it is, amen? Righteousness is this, simply put, it is more and more of Jesus becoming a reality in my life. It is, he is getting greater, he is greater and I am less. It is, Jesus, I want more of you and less of me. I want to walk into every circumstance, every situation, and I want them to see Jesus in me. I want to represent you well as a citizen in your kingdom. I no longer live for myself, I live for you. So the more we're like Jesus, the more this world, guess what, will hate us because it hated him. 
See, the world loves its own. Did you catch that? The world loves it when everybody looks like them, acts like them, talks like them, doesn't go against anything that they want or anything that they believe. The world loves its own, but it hates those who are not. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to his protege Timothy in 2 Timothy, he said it this way, and I think this goes, fits perfectly with Matthew 5, verse 10. He said this, 2 Timothy 3, 12, he says, and indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He didn't say, hey, Timothy, if you follow Jesus and live your life for him, there's a good chance you might be persecuted. There's a good chance that people might not like you. You might rub a few people the wrong way and it might not go your way all the time. He didn't say you might be or could be. He said, he said you will be persecuted. In other words, it's a guarantee. You can take it to the bank. You can cash the check. It's going to happen if you live for Jesus if you follow him with everything that you have, you will face persecution. So let me, let me remind you this. It's not an if persecution comes, it is when it comes, it's coming. It is coming. And if it's not, then you need to ask yourself, why? Am I not a threat? Am I not following Jesus? Am I not living for him? Do people not see any of these beatitudes in my life? Because Jesus said, if you're living this way, you will be persecuted because you look like me and they don't like me. See, often we hear this word persecution and we think, man, that was a long time ago. That doesn't happen anymore. We think that was in the first century or maybe second and third century. That was just with the early church. And so we think that persecution was just something that happened a long time ago or we, 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 Think that it happens in other places, but that it doesn't happen here. That, it, that happens to remote, far off places, places that I'll never go and places I've never been. I want you to know, New Beginnings, that persecution is not just a problem of the past. It is a reality in the present right now as we sit in this room and as we speak. There are people that are separated from their families. There are people that are imprisoned and tortured there are homes that are burned to the ground. There are families being sold into slavery. There are people, there are thousands of people killed every single year for no other reason than the fact that they love Jesus and they're not willing to say they don't. Thousands of people lost their lives last year. They'll lose it this year. Thousands of people will die because of Jesus Christ this year. See, it's not an issue from the past that leaves us unaffected. It is a present reality for our brothers and sisters around the world this very moment. I have a friend that's been a missionary to North Korea for the last 27 years. You heard that right, North Korea, a place that they don't like Americans and they really don't like Christians. This friend of mine, he, he came to know Jesus at our church in West Texas when he was a little kid on the bus ministry. Some of y'all don't know about that bus ministry, but they, there's a bus ministry that they had, and they had these buses that would go around town and pick kids up at their house and then bring them to church on a Sunday morning. And no, we're not gonna have buses next week, so just go ahead and scratch that out of your mind, all right? 
But back then they had these buses that would go all over the city and pick up these kids. And I, I believe they, they did that at a lot of churches. But this friend of mine, that's how he came to know Jesus. This bus picked him up one day. He entered into the church. He heard the gospel. He realized he was poor in spirit. He mourned over his sin and he accepted Jesus in his life. And Jesus changed him from the inside out. And he said, when I was a sophomore in high school, I knew as clear as day that Jesus was calling me to North Korea. Didn't know why, couldn't explain it. He said, but I wrote it down and said, I'll go. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I know it's dangerous. I know it's not safe. I know it could cost me my life, but I'll go. He graduates high school. And you know, you get the annuals in high school that you want everybody autograph and sign. He showed me it just last in 2018 when he was home. And he said, look, everyone in high school wrote, hey, praying for you, good luck in North Korea. As a senior in high school, he gets married and his, him and his wife move over there and they start living out the gospel, doing whatever it takes to try to take the gospel in to the hard and unreached places of North Korea in this extreme communist country. And I got to spend time with my friend when I was in West Texas in 2017, 2018. He was home on furlough and he was home for a lot of different reasons, but he and I would go have breakfast and he would share with me some unbelievable stories about persecution and say, Daniel, I, I see persecution every day. I, I, I can tell you things that you wouldn't believe me. And he shared a lot of those things with me. I'll never forget the one thing that just has, one of the things that stuck in my mind is he said, every single day on my way to work, I'm remem I remember what Jesus said when he said, if you live for me, you will be persecuted. He said, I walk down this dirt road from my house to the business that we run there. And when I walk down that road, I can look to my right and I see this giant chain link fence with barbed wire all around it. And he said, it is, a, it is a prison for Christians. And he said, there are thousands in there. And he said, as I walk by and I look behind the chain link fence, there are Christians crawling around on their knees, looking at the dirt because that is their sentence. They were told when they were arrested for their faith that if you wanna be on your knees praying to your God, you can live the rest of your life on your knees in the dirt and you will not look up or you will be executed. So they will crawl around on their knees in the dirt for the rest of their life simply because they love Jesus and they follow after him with everything that they have. So my friends said, every time I walk by there, I'm reminded of the cost. I'm reminded that there are people that are willing to do whatever it takes for Jesus to be known. And there are people that love Jesus more than their freedom. There are people that love Jesus more than their life itself. My friend and his mission, and his, his mission over in North Korea, he, he said, Daniel, I, I've been laboring for 27 years. And he said, I'll never see, I know I'll never see the fruit of my labor this side of heaven. So, but my prayer is this, is that I would lay a foundation for the next generation, that if they ever open up the borders, that the next generation that comes in will be able to bring the gospel and they will be able to build upon the foundation that we are laying and that their lives will be changed, transformed. Hopefully an entire nation will be changed because of the work we've done over the last 27 years. I wanna share with you some real life statistics real quick. These are not from 500 years ago. These are not from uh, a century or whatever. These are current. These are reported in 2018 by an organization known as Open Doors Ministry. Check out what it says. They, they did a lot of research, a lot of study, and th their organization tracks persecution around the world. And here are some sobering statistics. 
245 million Christians in the world experience high levels of persecution. One in nine Christians worldwide experience persecution. 4,136 Christians were killed for their faith in 2018. I want you to just stop there for a moment. We just celebrated 9-11, what, a week or so ago? That number is more than those who perished in 9-11. And in 2018, and in 2019, and in 2020, that number will just continue to rise. 4,000 people lost their lives, and the only reason is that they love Jesus. 2,600 25 Christians detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, imprisoned. Sounds familiar. Same thing happened to Jesus, right? 1,266 churches or Christian buildings attacked in 2018. Every single month, 105 churches were attacked, burned, or vandalized. That's every month. You do the math, 105 times 12. That's how many churches were destroyed. And our last one, don't miss this one. Every day, 11 Christian brothers and sisters were killed for their faith. Not yearly, every day. You do the math there. That's where we get the 4,000 plus dying for their faith, dying because they love Jesus. 11 brothers and sisters every single day dying because they love Jesus. So right now, in this moment, while you and I sit comfortably in this room, this isn't a guilt trip, so I don't want you to feel that way, but I want you to realize right now, while we're in this room, and as you leave this place and go eat lunch and go about your day, that there are 11 plus men and women that love Jesus with all that they are that will lose their life today because they love Jesus. Sobering, isn't it? that it will cost them their very lives because they love Jesus more than they love their life. See, and there's times, and this is what I was wrestling with this week, it bothers me because we're, let's be honest, we're a bunch of spoiled Americans, aren't we? We sit in a room in a comfortable chair and we listen to incredible worship music and we listen to a message and we're, 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 we think we're being persecuted if the, the temperature's not right. We think we're being persecuted if somebody asks us to wear a mask for crying out loud. I've seen this nonsense on social media. I see people talk about it all the time. I'm going, that I'm being persecuted by my government because they tell me I gotta wear a mask. No, you're not. You're being inconvenienced. You're not being persecuted. Now, I don't like the masks any more than you, and I'm not just talking about masks. I'm talking about when somebody doesn't agree with you on social media or they don't like your post, you think you're being persecuted. You're not being persecuted. They just don't agree with you. It's okay. You gotta get over it. You gotta keep moving. I'm gonna realize there's more important things to get all upset about and worry about. People are losing their life today because they love Jesus. So what if they like or didn't like your pictures or your post? So what if you're inconvenienced by wearing a mask? So what if they didn't sing the songs you wanna sing? So what if you got pulled over and got a ticket? That's not persecution, that's inconveniences. And here's, the, here's what I want you to gather from this is that there are a lot of Christians that confuse persecution and punishment. Here's what I mean by that. There are a lot of people that think they're being persecuted 
when they're really receiving punishment for being foolish or making poor choices or being obnoxious, if you will. Listen what Peter says in 1 Peter, starting in verse, chapter four, verse 14. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But listen to this one. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. You like that one? In some translations, that would say or being for being obnoxious. It's funny to me that Peter's like, hey, don't be a murderer. Don't be a thief. Don't be an evildoer and keep your nose out of everybody else's business. Like you're gonna face persecution if you stick your nose somewhere it doesn't belong or if you're just obnoxious and rude to people, you might face persecution, but that's not persecution for the cause of Christ. That's persecution because you're acting like a moron, right? Let me give you an example. There's a guy in Florida where I lived for 10 years and he would go to downtown square area on Saturdays and he would stand on the corner with these flags and these banners and a bullhorn, I call him bullhorn guy, and he would have a speaker right there and he would scream and yell at people and tell them that they're going to hell if they don't change. He would tell them all, he would say all these kind of just absurd things to these people and he would wonder why people would tell him, shut up, quit saying that and they would throw their milkshake at him out their car window. And then he would, he would have the nerve to say, I'm being persecuted for my faith. And I've had multiple conversations with the guy and I'd ask him, how effective is this? Like, do people walk by and really hear you screaming at them, telling them they're going to hell and they're gonna burn forever? And they go, ooh, hell, tell me more about that, right? How often, how, how effective is this evangelism method? How does it really work for you? It's probably not working very well, but he would say he's being persecuted for the cause of Christ. And Peter would say, no, you're being persecuted because you're obnoxious and you're rude and you're, being, you're treating people poorly. And the sad part about that is you're painting all the rest of us with that same brushstroke and everybody thinks that that's the way Christians act. So that's the conversation I had with him. I said, hey, you realize that people think I'm just like you. Can you please stop? Because that's, that's not how it works. I've been speaking to you primarily this morning about physical persecution. But I want you to know that persecution comes in many different forms. Jesus tells us in verse 11, he says this. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus said that it's on whose account? His account, right? That we are persecuted. Meaning people will revile you. They'll slander you. They'll mistreat us because what? We look like him. You see, the more we look like Jesus, the more we will experience Persecution, the more false things people will say about us and to us because we're living out our faith and we're looking like our Savior. Well, let me give you some ways that this might play out in our lives. Let's be honest. Most of us will never be thrown into a prison camp for our faith and, and told we have to crawl around on our knees in the dirt for the rest of our lives. I, I sure hope not. But many of us will face some other forms of persecution. It, we, we, we may see it culturally, I think we already are, if we're being honest. We'll see it and feel it socially. I don't know about you, but I knew the moment I accepted Christ at 23, when I woke up the next morning, I went, man, I, this is gonna cost me something. There's some people that aren't gonna like this. 
and they're not going to want me to be around them. They're not going to hang out with me anymore. So I knew there was going to be a cost with this. It'll affect us socially. It will bear out in our relationships. It will bear out. It will play itself out in our workplaces and in our careers. It will work its way out in our schools, students. If you are a student that stands for Jesus, other students aren't going to like it because they still live in this world and they don't belong to that kingdom that we talked about yet. And they're gonna say things about you. They're gonna bully you. They're gonna make fun of you. And you gotta realize it's worth it. It's worth it to be different. It's worth it to take a stand for Christ. He's bigger than all the things that you're gonna face. He's given you a spirit that will sustain you and that will help you through every trial that you face as you follow after him. If you, if you, if you embrace integrity and in the things that we talk about in your workplace and you refuse to lower your standard, it's gonna clash with those who cut corners and cheat to gain a profit. If you walk humbly with God, you will clash with those who are prideful. If you're diligent and earnest, you will clash with those who are lazy and negligent. If you speak with compassion, you will clash with those who are judgmental and harsh with their words. If you are spiritually minded, you will clash with those who are worldly minded. I was reminded as I prepared for this about one of the ways that I saw this play out in persecution in the workplace. I was reminded of a friend in Florida that was a high school football coach. You see, when I lived in Florida as a student pastor, I was able to build some incredible relationships with high school football coaches, uh, just like our guys do here, like Marcus and Kyle and Jake and Hunter over in Gilmer. I was able to go onto those campuses and, and build relationships with those coaches and, and, and get to, to feed those football teams on Fridays before games. And, and because we were doing that, I was able to speak to those athletes and share my faith with them and encourage them to, to accept the gospel and to live for Jesus there was a friend of mine that was a coach and he was coaching in Claremont, Florida at the time. And he, was, he loved Jesus. He was sold out for Jesus. You would see a lot of these attributes that we talked about in the Beatitudes lived out in his life. And he saw, imagine this, he saw his high school campus as his mission field. He saw being a coach to these young men for over 15 plus years as his opportunity to preach the gospel, share the gospel, to let those athletes see Jesus in him every single day. He brought his Bible to work. He would pray with them. He would mentor them. He would disciple them. And then one year, one student athlete went and filed a complaint and said, man, this coach is forcing his Christian views and beliefs on me. He's trying to cram the Bible down my throat and I'm an atheist and I don't want it, I don't like it. And so the school district and the school board started you know, talking about this and they went to my friend and they said, hey, you can't do that. You can't do that anymore. You can't bring your Bible into work. You can't talk openly about the gospel. You can't ask those athletes to pray. You can't share your faith with them. In other words, you need to keep your mouth shut. My friend had a decision to make. And here was the decision. Do I love my career and all the comforts that it provides more than I love Jesus? Am I willing to lose my career in order to stand for what I believe in, in order to stand for my faith? And in that moment, he said, they, they're not gonna shut me up. I'm gonna continue to point athletes to Jesus. 
I'm going to continue to pray with them. I'm going to continue to share my faith. I'm going to continue to remain faithful to the one who died for me over this career. As much as I love football, as much as I love this school, as much as I love these athletes, I love Jesus more. And he has called me to remain faithful and steadfast and stand firm in my faith. And I'm not going to be moved and I'm not going to remain silent. And it cost him his career as a coach. I want you to know this morning, New Beginnings, this is that, and you might want to jot this down, everything, every trial that you go through, every ounce of persecution that you face has a purpose. Persecution and pain has a purpose. You may not feel it or sense it when you're going through it. You may not understand it. Every time you suffer and every time you're persecuted and every time you walk through these fiery trials, I know we're standing in the middle of those storms or in the middle of the fiery furnace and we've got these question marks where we're saying, God, I don't understand it. I don't know why this is happening to me. I want you to know that your, per your persecution and your pain has a purpose. And the purpose is this, James tells us in James chapter one, starting in verse two, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, in other words, the persecution, it produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, as you go through persecution and through this, these different trials and through the pain, it has a purpose. And the purpose is this, is it would make you look more and more like Jesus being perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That is the end goal is that by the time we get to the end of our lives, that Jesus, through his spirit, would have done a work in us, inside out, and that we would start to look more and more like him, and that he would use persecution and pain and suffering and all the things that the world throws at us to make us look more and more like him. You see, persecution has a purpose. It is a refining fire, and it tests the authenticity of our faith. The bottom line, if you're taking notes about this beatitude is this, it separates the true from the false because it's impossible to find joy, what Jesus is about to say, when you go through these things, if you're really not true, if you're really not authentic, if you haven't been changed, if you don't belong to the kingdom of God, when persecution comes, you will run the other way. Did you catch that? You see, Pastor Todd said last week that when we face difficult things and difficult people and trials and circumstances and persecution, that when the squeeze is put on us, these attributes should come out. And Jesus is letting us know at the end of these, of these beatitudes that you're going to live this way and because you're living this way, you're going to face persecution. And I want you to count it all joy. He says this, he says, listen, when you understand what you're being persecuted for is worth, is more valuable than what you're suffering, you'll start to be able to have joy and celebrate it. And whether, Jesus says this in verse 12, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, when you go through this stuff, realize you're in good company. Every prophet was persecuted. Every apostle was persecuted. Jesus himself was persecuted. Every one of those apostles that followed after Jesus with all that they were died a martyr's death. 
Peter that we just talked about a few seconds ago, when it came to the end of his days, he was arrested and imprisoned in Rome by Nero. Nero hated Christians. And when it came time for Peter to leave this world, they were going to crucify him on a Roman cross. And let me tell you about an uncommon perspective, if you will, a different view, a different vantage point that Peter lived with. It was this. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. So if you're gonna kill me and crucify me, I want you to hang me upside down. That's a different perspective. That's an uncommon perspective. See, Peter had seen Jesus. He knew what the reward was and what was waiting for him on the other side of death. And he didn't, he didn't wanna be considered worthy to die the same way that Jesus was. In Acts 5.41, I love this story that we see about the apostles. The apostles, we find them responding to uh, uh, being flogged and being beaten. In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, it says, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. You see, the apostles understood what they lived for and what they suffered for, and it was for the glory of God. And they counted that as more important than their physical well-being and more than life itself. You see, they viewed life now from an uncommon, eternal perspective. They had seen Jesus, and Jesus had changed everything about them. That word, when you, when you see that word, rejoice and be glad, in a word study in the original language, it'd be that they walk out of there celebrating, partying, dancing, jumping up and down at the fact that they had been persecuted and flogged and beaten. They, 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 they didn't understand, they, they just, they were blown away that they would be counted worthy to suffer shame and suffering for his name. You see, they had an uncommon perspective. Their eyes had seen Jesus and they realized that he was worth more than anything that they would ever face or anything that they would ever go through in this life. In Hebrews, it tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. You wanna know what that joy was that Jesus experienced, what the, the way that he fixed his eyes? He was looking at every single one of us. We are his joy. And so he was willing to be persecuted. He was willing to be nailed to a tree because he was looking down the corridor of time. And he's looking at every single one of us, at you and me. And so I want you to know new beginnings this morning. You will face persecution if you follow Jesus close enough and long enough, and if he starts to become more and more of a reality in your life, because you no longer belong to the kingdom of this world, but you belong to an eternal kingdom. We are called to be salt, we are called to be light, and we're gonna learn more about that next week. The world doesn't get it, they don't understand it, and it rubs them the wrong way. So I wanna encourage you today, live for Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Run the race that's set before you with perseverance, knowing that it's shaping you and changing you and helping you to become more like him every time you face difficult days and hardship and persecution. As we wrap this up this morning, I wanna ask you something. 
Because this is something I wrestled with all week. Has your faith really ever cost you anything? Has your faith cost you anything? And if it hasn't, why not? When I read through the Gospels, in the words of Jesus, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Has your faith cost you anything? And if it hasn't, why not? Let's pray. Father, I lift up this prayer to you, asking that you would be with our brothers and sisters who are around the world facing persecution today. God, from just the sobering statistics that we read a few minutes ago, we know that today 11 plus brothers and sisters will die. So God, I ask that you would be with them through the fire, through the trial, that they would keep their eyes fixed on you, that they would know that you're worth it, that you're greater than anything that they'll go through, including death today. So God, I ask that you be with them, give them strength, give them courage, help them to be steadfast, immovable, unshakable. God, be with their families that are gonna walk through difficult, dark days of grief and loss and heartache with lots of questions asking why. God, I pray that you would be near their broken hearts, that you would be with their crushed spirits, that you would comfort them in only the ways that you can. God, I pray for those that are gonna lose everything. Pray for those that are locked up for the rest of their lives because of their faith. God, I pray that they would remain steadfast. God, I pray for anyone in this room and under the sound of my voice that's going through a difficult time, that's facing hardships and trials and even persecution. God, I pray that you would remind them who you are and what you've done, that you would give them the strength and the courage to stand for you, to live for you in a hard and difficult place. God, that you would be their ever-present help in their time of need, that you would remind them that the same spirit that saved them is the same spirit that is in them that will sustain them through every trial and every storm and everything that they will ever face in this life. And so God, help us to be found faithful at the end of our days that we ran the race that you put before us. And we ran it with joy, knowing that you are our heavenly, eternal reward. God, help us to keep that in perspective. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.